From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. And here's a little news headline from the New York Times, September 6th, 1934. Hitler forecasts no Reich overturn in the next 1,000 years. Proclamation to Nazi Congress says movement won't yield no matter what. Pretty optimistic, huh? And not only did the Nazis keep a stranglehold on German politics and everyday life back then, they attempted a transformation of German music by driving out anything that didn't fit their worldview. This meant banning anything written or performed by Jews, blacks, or gypsies, including any jazz or swing music, recordings made by groups with both black and white musicians, anything with scat singing or drum solos, A thousand years is a long time to keep a lid on whole genres of music. But luckily, the Third Reich only lasted until 1945. Let's listen to some of the music that wouldn't have been heard for a thousand years if Hitler had his way, starting with some klezmer, the instrumental musical tradition of the Ashkenazi Jews of Central and Eastern Europe. Here's Sima Rexeit, with the Abe Elstein Orchestra singing Hasanatanz. Spielt auf a Hasanatanz, war alle Kalles, weil die Hasanen kommen bald dahin zurück. Nicht mehr Bänke, nicht mehr Tränen, lichtig werden die Welt an Wegen leben, zusammen in Schule mit Geld. Spielt auf a Hasanatanz, gräbt uns für Bekleidung, an gegen gehen, was die wie aber's mal geschenkt. Zurück von Felder in Finianen, sie sein kahle Tatte, Mamen, Frieden, wird Menschen nach Erde gehen. Bin und bin weit, sehr Heldigkeit wird trinken, die Welt war frei, jetzt werden sie Liebeslieder wieder singen. Klesmer spielt, auf Freilachs mit Tanz, weil wir Hussen, Kahle, Tanz nach Hassen und Daten Briefe lernt mir schreiben, wie stark die Bands, die Host im Asoi liegt. Sollt nicht, wer's kein Mädel nicht verbleiben, neu, baut mit ein Seewig, wo ihr an eigene Stieg. Gekämpft hat er dort wie ein Held, ein Sieger, in jeder Neut getracht hat er für dir. Jetzt wird er müssen kämpfen mit der Schwiege, oh, ihr Mitarbeiter, kleine Kinder vier. Oi, fegele, hanele, rückele, zierele, freilele, malkele, ruchele, mirele, eier husen, kerze, hingeschwind. Oi, die Welt bin steich am Maseltopf und Sinn. Weiß, ja, Heldigkeit wird klingen, die 
Weltmeisterfreude, jetzt werden sehr liebes Lieder wieder singen, Kersmer spielt, auf Freilachs mit Glanz, bald werden Russen Kale tanz nach Hassene We are broadcasting this hour from the secret vault containing Nazi band musical recordings. In fact, we just played some klezmer music. That was Hasenatanz, sung by Sima Rexeit, and he was egged on by the Abe Elstein Orchestra. Back in the 1930s, the Nazis thought that music had decayed into degeneracy and laid the blame on the influence of Judaism and capitalism. Another group the Nazis blamed were the Gypsies. They saw the Gypsies, or Roma, as parasites on society, people that didn't contribute anything, and lesser human beings. And I see here in their vault of band recordings, Nicholas Mathy and his Gypsy Orchestra from 1938. Here's Duina Otululi. <laughs> Thank you. 
Another klezmer number featuring clarinetist Dave Taurus with Al Glazer's Bokovinar Capella. They played Bessarabian Hora from 1939. Before that, 1938, Duina Otulili, Nicholas Mathie and his Gypsy Orchestra. Two groups targeted for extermination by the Third Reich were Jews and Gypsies, and hence the music stemming from those traditions was banned in Germany. Hitler predicted the Third Reich would last 1,000 years, but in reality, it was only 12 years before these recordings once again saw the light of day in Germany. Gypsies, a.k.a. Romas, and Jews weren't the only ones responsible for the ills of German society in the 1930s. The Nazis also had a beef with guys who were, quote, insufficiently manly. The Reich preferred marching bands, traditional waltzes, and heroic symphonic works that exemplified the Aryan spirit. Pretty much the opposite of what we're about to hear, namely Die Comedian Harmonist, the male close harmony group which was shut down by the Nazis in 1934. Here they are singing Tag und Nacht. <laughs> In die dunkle Stunde meiner Einsamkeit. 
Ist hat wenig von der Welt, weil noch die Musik fröhlich uns erhält. Wer ein kleines Lied kennt und singt es einfach so, bleibt am Morgen und am Abend froh. So ein kleines Lied singt ein jeder mit. Ja, was wäre das Leben ohne Lied? Kannst du pfeifen, Johanna? Gewiss kann ich das. Pfeife weiter, Johanna, denn Pfeifen macht Spaß. Deine Lippen sind purpurn und deine Wangen rund. Mädel, was hast du für einen wunderschönen Mund? Kannst du pfeifen, Johanna? Gewiss kann ich das. Kannst du singen, Johanna? Gewiss kann ich das. La, 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 la. Singe weiter, Johanna, dein Singen macht Spaß. La, 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 la. Deine Lippen sind purpurn und deine Wangen rund. Mädel, was hast du für einen wunderschönen Mund? Kannst du singen, Johanna? Gewiss kann ich das. La, 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 la. Isst du Pfirsich, Johanna? Gewiss tue ich das. Du musst vorsichtig essen, Kind, du machst dich doch ganz nass. Ja, es scheint, dass es dir gut schmeckt, denn du isst ja furchtbar laut. Ach Gott, ich armer Mann, ich bin gestraft mit so einer Braut. Isst doch weiter, Johanna, denn uns macht es Spaß. Kannst du gurgeln, Johanna, gewiss kann ich das. Gurgle weiter, Johanna, den Gurgeln macht Spaß. 
Hast im Hals du manchmal Schmerzen oder ist die Kehle wund? Dann nimm etlich Sauerton, Erde und Gurgle dich gesund. Gurgle weiter, Johanna, ei fein kannst du das. Kannst du meckern, Johanna? Selbstverständlich kann ich meckern, aber ich möchte mir ein für alle, alle mal ausgebeten haben, dass sie diese Belästigung zu unterlassen, mein Herr. Mecker weiter, Johanna, dein Meckern macht Spaß. Es schickt ihn dazu, frei zu gehen, wenn ihm mein Tod und nicht passen sollte, mein Herr. Und sie meckert und meckert und hat einen großen Mund, aber dazu hat das Mädel doch nun wirklich keinen Grund. Mecker weiter, Johanna. Ja, aber das ist doch die Höhe. Meck, 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 meck. Aber jetzt, aber jetzt, aber jetzt kannst du schweigen, Johanna, gewiss kann ich das. Schweige weiter, Johanna, denn schweigen macht Spaß. Ich, ich, bam, bam. Die Comedian Harmonies. Kannst du pfeifen, Johanna, from 1934. Closed down by the Nazis for being insufficiently manly not to mention having three Jewish members. Before that, we heard them sing Tag und Nacht from 1933. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport, and we are broadcasting from the secret vault containing all of the band musical recordings of the Third Reich. We tread in hushed wonderment towards the neatly stacked 78 RPM recordings. Hey, what's this old yellow piece of paper on the floor? Let's see if I can make out what it says. Following the regulation to protect musical cultural works of 29 March 1939, the Reich Music Examination Office has declared the following musical works as undesired and harmful. Publishing, distributing, or performing these works is forbidden in the German Reich. And here's a big long list of specific songs and recordings. Well, I say we go ahead and listen to these band recordings. The Reich is over! We'll start with a song called Rosalie, which will exemplify that degenerate capitalist swing music. This features Ernie Mathias with Vincent Lopez and his 1937 orchestra. Make my life thrilling and tell me you're willing. 
dipsy doodle's a thing to beware. The dipsy doodle will get in your hair. And if it gets you, it couldn't be worse. The things you say will come out in reverse. Like you love I and me love you. That's the way the dipsy doodle works. The dipsy doodle is easy to find. It's almost always in back of your mind. You never know it until it's too late. And then you're in such a terrible state. Like the moon jumped over the cow hay diddle. That's the way the dipsy doodle works. When you think that you're crazy, you're the victim of the dipsy doodle. But it's not your mind that's hazy. It's your tongue that's at fault, not your noodle. You'd better listen and try to be good, and try to do all the things that you should. The dipsy doodle will get you someday. You'll think you're crazy with the things that you'll say, like rhythm, got I, and hot am I. That's the way the dipsy doodle works. a 1938 Jimmy Lewis with Russ Morgan Manor. Before that, Rosalie, given to us here by Ernie Mathias with Vincent Lopez and his orchestra, both of those swing numbers specifically banned by the Third Reich Music Examination Office in 1939. And here's a couple more banned swing numbers from 1938. The German public was protected from these recordings starting in 1939, and we'll start with Kenny Sargent with Glenn Gray and the Casaloma Orchestra. Here is You Never Know. Don't be afraid 
It comes to every man and to every maid. So take my advice and reserve two tickets to paradise for you. Never know. in the rain As we kissed remember how we made a vow to meet again Soon my darling the wedding bells will chime From the chapel in apple blossom time There's a village in a valley There are roses round the door Where the sky is blue above We'll live and love
more recordings banned from the Third Reich in Germany in 1939. We just heard Donald King with Roy Smeck and his serenaders. There's a village in a valley. This was preceded by You Never Know, featuring Kenny Sargent with Glenn Gray and the Casa Loma Orchestra. Both those paradigms of perversion from 1938. And let's listen to two more of the songs specifically banned by name in 1939 by the Third Reich Music Examination Office in order to protect the German public from the degenerate influences of jazz and swing. Here's Benny Goodman and his 1938 orchestra playing the Flat Foot Flugie. Flat Foot Thank you. 
just heard six of the recordings declared off-limits by the Music Examination Office of the Third Reich in Germany in 1939. Hitler famously declared that the Reich would last a thousand years, or until the year 2933. But fortunately, the band came to a crashing halt in 1945 along with the Reich itself. We just heard a 1945 caravan with Duke Ellington and his famous orchestra, before that, Benny Goodman and his orchestra with the Flatfoot Flugy. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Next, we horrified Nazi sensibilities with a recording of an ensemble containing both black and white musicians playing side by side. Here's Lionel Hampton with the Benny Goodman Quartet in 1945, Vibraphone Blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
Along with the drunk all the time All the time If the blues was whiskey I would stay drunk all of the time Now if I get drunk, babe I would leave you behind I would leave you Played Mr. Wilson. Played a long, long time. Now when Mr. Krubel beat those ribs, he don't let you down.
Chifte, Chifte, that was Ido Lubitsch and his Gypsies. Before that, the 1945 Vibraphone Blues, featuring Lionel Hampton with the Benny Goodman Quartet. All music considered degenerate by the Third Reich. The Nazis also banned any music by Jewish composers, including Kurt Weill, whom we feature next. Here is Latalania with Barbara Song by Kurt Weill from 1930. Durch ein kleines Lied deutet Polly ihren Eltern ihre Verheiratung mit dem Räuber Mekis an. Sie berichtet von ihrer langer bewahrten Unschuld und ihrem Vorsatz, in allen Lebenslagen den Kopf oben zu behalten. Sie führt Beispiele ihrer Standhaftigkeit an. Jedoch eines Tages... Jedoch eines Tages und der Tag, der war blau, da kam einer, der mich nicht war. Und er hängte seinen Hut an den Nagel in meiner Kammer und ich wusste nicht mehr, was ich tat. Und als er kein Geld hatte und als er nicht nett war und sein Kragen war auf Sonntag nicht rein und als er nicht wusste, was ich beinahe war, Schickt. Zu ihm sagte ich nicht nein. Da behielt ich meinen Kopf nicht oben und ich blieb nicht allgemein. Ach, es schien der Mond die ganze Nacht. Ach, es war das Vorabuchalot gemacht. Und es konnte gar nicht anders sein. Ja. was a young man courting the girls I played me a waiting game If a maid refused me with tossing curls I'd let the old earth take a couple of whirls While I plied her with tears in place of pearls And as time came around she came my way As time came around she came But it's a long, long while From May to December And the days grow short When you reach September And the autumn weather Turns the leaves to flame And I haven't got time For the waiting game 
And the days turn to gold As they grow few September November And these few golden days I'd share with you These golden days I'd share with you And the wind dwindles down To a precious brew September November And these few vintage years I'd share with you These vintage years I'd share with you We're in the secret vault of recordings banned by the Nazi Third Reich this hour. The Reich is over and we're reveling in all the music withheld from the German public during the 12-year reign of terror. We just heard two songs by composer Kurt Weill, whose work was banned because he was Jewish. That was Walter Huston singing September Song, assisted by Victor Young and his orchestra in 1945. And before that, we heard a 1930 recording of Barbara's song featuring Lada Lenya. And we'll wind up our visit with two exemplars of worthless music inferiority and degeneracy, featuring items the guardians of Nazi German good taste held in a special disdain, drum solos in jazz and swing, and the use of scat. Here's a 1932 Steve Washington with the Washboard Rhythm Kings with the scat song.
1938 Pagan Love Song. That was Bob Crosby and his orchestra with a string bass solo by Bob Haggard and a drum solo by Ray Banduk. This was preceded by the Scat Song, Steve Washington with the Washboard Rhythm Kings in 1932, both containing elements of music inferiority and outrageous degeneracy, according to the Third Reich Ministry of Propaganda. Yes, the Thousand Year Reich came to an end after only 12 long years. 
The Nazi Ministry of Propaganda banned all music by Jewish, Gypsy, Capitalist, Negro, and insufficiently manly composers and performers. But in 1945, the secret vault of band recordings suddenly unlatched. The vast door creeped open, and there we found klezmer, jazz, gypsy, scat, and swing, suddenly bathed in the fresh air and light. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And speaking of Nazis, we have for your listening pleasure a 1943 episode of Suspense that stars Vincent Price about a spy who has infiltrated the Third Reich. The strange death of Charles Umberstein. So let's listen. Suspense. This is the man in black, here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our Hollywood cast tonight is the distinguished American actor, the star of the Broadway suspense drama, Angel Street, who has recently returned to this coast to resume his film career, Mr. Vincent Price. Tonight's suspense play, which presents Mr. Price, and which is produced and directed by William Spear, relates an episode of recent years in the unfriendly Nazi capital of Berlin. The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein by E. Jack Newman is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so, with the strange death of Charles Umberstein, and with the performance of Vincent Price, we again hope to keep you in suspense. I was infuriated to think I had been trapped. thought that someone had discovered my intentions maddened me to the breaking point. Nothing had slipped. Everything had run smoothly as I had planned. No evidence, not the slightest trace, nothing. And yet, I was trapped. Trapped. But why? How? Let me see. Papers in my briefcase. Train ticket. Information forwarded safely to my office. And he knew. How? 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 But he did know. I stood quietly in my room, watching him, watching him, watching me, waiting for me, standing by the lamppost beneath my window, knowing, knowing he had trapped me, waiting for me. I recognized him almost immediately, Captain von Heint. Once before, I had seen him briefly in Herr Miller's office. I had been working on some corrections... Herr Miller was escorting him through the plant on an inspection tour. They stopped for a moment outside my office. I glanced up as Herr Miller gestured my way through the partially open door. Uh-huh, Herr Hauptmann. That is the new architect. 
Well, here it was. They were talking about me. My heart stopped. He was explaining how I had been recommended by the Fuhrer himself for my qualification. They continued on their tour. Herr Miller ex explained later when I went to his office. Aha, Umberstein, there you are. Herr Miller, you sent for me? Yes, Umberstein. This morning, when Captain von Hind and myself passed by your office, I knew it was you. You knew it was me? Yeah. Captain von Hind is head of Gestapo intelligence in this area. Uh, he was conducting a routine inspection this morning, and it was he who suggested that what? I... Well, uh, since your recommendations were by the Führer himself... And yes. Your work here has been excellent. I knew you were the man when I passed by today. My work? Huh? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 of course, not that. Uh, why, you have become one of our best men. Oh, thank you, Herr Müller. No, this is it. Yes, Herr Müller. Through various posts, we are releasing more prints on munitions areas in this country... Uh, and other countries, huh? <laughs> You are to be in complete charge of their release from the war. I understand, Herr Miller. As a citizen of the Reich, I am greatly honored that I have been given such an opportunity. An opportunity to show your loyalty. An honor. I will give you the combinations. You will see that no other person enters the war. Of course, Herr Miller. Uh -huh. uh, one moment, Umberstein. Uh, yes? I think I should tell you that a few months ago in one of the neighboring plants... The Gestapo apprehended a spy. Yes? He was working for an enemy espionage service, found in possession of certain vital documents which he had access to in his work. And uh, what did they learn from him? Well, many things. He was reluctant to speak at first, but it's difficult to hold out indefinitely. <laughs> Well, he finally gave them enough information to locate other agents who had filtered in. It was well he was detected. Oh, yeah. The uh, Gestapo is still on the alert for some of his co-workers, still expected to arrive. Of course, they are ignorant of his confession and his fate. So, Herr Umberstein, I must warn you to take all the necessary steps against the possibility of espionage. We cannot be too careful. I shall be careful. In you, Umberstein, is exemplified the efficiency of the Third Reich. I closed my suitcase and looked down on the street. I watched him standing there. I kept asking myself, how, 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 how could he know? This Captain von Hind, how could he know? The plan was perfect, the best yet, and yet I was discovered, trapped... It was a late Saturday afternoon, and the silence of the day hung heavy in the room. Outside it was cold, very cold, but in my room it was warm, stuffy. The radiator hissed and spewed as though it were the judge of the events to come. I was almost angry at it. A radiator. It was still light enough that he might see me if I crossed to raise the window. He wasn't aware that I was in the room. I hadn't turned on the lights. Now he stood there, waiting for me to return. <laughs> I lay down on the bed, smoking. My thoughts troubled by the one question, how? How? How had he discovered me? Safely, I had avoided all connections with anyone who might have a chance to spy on my work. There was not the least cause for suspicion. 
an established citizen of the right, well-recommended, pure Aryan, employed as an architect in one of the country's largest munitions plants. Certainly there was no reason for him to suspect me, the Gestapo, this Captain von Hind, waiting to take me. Fräulein Keller. Fräulein Keller. Absurd. Oh, of course not. Not she. But could you ever trust a woman? Fräulein Keller. Did I give her any reason, any reason at all? Good morning, Fräulein. Oh, good morning. My name is Charles Umberstein, and I am to be at the munitions factory near here. I wish to take a room. Oh? One facing the outer street, Fräulein, if you can accommodate me. Oh, I think so. Oh. We have one. It is on the second floor. Overlooks the street corner. Oh, fine. I'm glad. It, it looks comfortable here. Small and comfortable. Oh, yes. You will like it, I'm sure. Uh, I am the owner and manager here. Fräulein. Sign here, please. Yes, of course. There you are. Oh, thank you. Otto, would you show Herr Umberstein to his room? Yes? Yes, who is it? It's I, Fräulein Keller. Oh, just a moment. Yes, Fräulein? I I have brought you some extra blankets. Oh. You may be cold. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you, Fräulein. And uh, Herr Umberstein, down the street, a little cafe. You may find nice meals and a little music, too. Oh, wonderful. I am indebted to you, Fräulein. Oh, but you are my charge. I look after my guests. It is my job. Oh, that is most kind, Fräulein. Uh, Herr Umberstein, yes. I, I also dine at a little cafe. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Here's to you, Fräulein, oh, for yes. your wonderful hospitality. Oh, to you, Herr Umberstein. <laughs> oh, Fräulein, it's growing late. I must be off. I have a great many things to do tomorrow. Oh, and so do I. Oh, it has been a wonderful evening. Wonderful. Yes, wonderful. Here's your coat. It's growing colder now, isn't it? Oh, yes, the winter will be here soon. Too soon. Yes, but I won't be... Eh? Uh, you won't be? Oh, nothing, Fräulein, nothing. You will be here long. Certainly, Fräulein, certainly. I was just uh, wishing. Wishing? For what? Now I had done it. I would started to thinking... Perhaps she could... For what? Oh, nothing, Fräulein, nothing important. Only the hopes of every man... They become so near sometimes. They're almost reality. So? What else could I do? I had to lead her thoughts away somehow. She took the lead. You mean a woman? Yes. Yes, Fräulein. You. Oh, but we have known each other for such a short time. Only two weeks. That's I... true, but I've been aware of you for a longer time, though I've just met you. Oh, oh Herr Umberstein, I... <sighs> Charles. Oh, Charles? At first I was uneasy about the whole affair. And after a while I, I did grow rather fond of her. She was so accommodating and we dined together each evening and I, I played my role to the letter. Never once did she mention my work. Oh. Fräulein Keller, what are you doing in my room? Well, I was... I, Anna. I was... 
You've been looking through my papers. Why? I was looking for something. But what right have you? What are you looking for? I was... Well, I well, was looking for a letter. For? A letter? What letter? One that you haven't got. I thought perhaps you might have it. Now, out with it. A letter from a woman. Very well, Charles. If you must know, I, I suspect you have not been filled. She I was don't... actually looking for a letter from some woman. Any woman. She didn't trust me. She didn't trust her child. <laughs> <laughs> No. No, it couldn't have been Fräulein Keller. Who then could it have been? I walked over to the window and looked down at the figure who so patiently kept his vigil there. Captain von Heinz, waiting. Why? There had been something wrong with the passport, but no, that was perfect, not the passport. All passengers will report as a trainmaster for passport examination. Yeah, all in order. You can take your luggage to Berlin. Yeah, this way. Next. Uh, Next. Here you are. Name? Charles Umberstein. President? Berlin. Nationality? German. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All in order. Picture, luggage, all in order. Thank you, trainmaster. You must be careful, you know. Uh, when may I catch my train for Berlin? It should be by any moment. Next. I stood there in the shadows waiting for my train. I, I examined my passport again, as I had done a hundred times before. No one would have any reason to doubt anything so genuine as that. Our passengers from Berlin! Our passengers from Berlin! Guard! Guard, must we stand passport inspection again? Uh, yeah. The army intelligence will accommodate you on the train. Yeah, Bull. At three stops, my passport was inspected. A good test. If the passport had been suspected or investigated, it would only prove that I was Charles Umberstein. I had come by the passport through Hans. At the time, Hans was employed as an Austrian customs inspector. This gave him access to many such passports. According to Hans, there had been a person named Charles Umberstein who had suddenly disappeared in 1936... Since there had been no friends or relatives to make an inquest, well, you can see. No. No, I was Charles Umberstein. Why, I even resembled the badly scarred photograph on the identification card. From the front view, he was evidently a large man, big shoulders, large head, wore a short Prussian haircut. Yes, I certainly looked enough like the photograph. Passport was flawless. He couldn't have discovered me through that, this fun hind. Something else. What else? The plans? No, 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 of course not. They couldn't have discovered that. I merely made copies and left the originals. No, 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 not the plans. Why, Hans and I... Hans. Oh, no, no, not Hans. Never. We'd worked so well together. Oh, no, no, not Hans. A strange, silent boy, perhaps, but surely... That night in 1936, when he gave me the passport, he was our man in Austria, but strange things happened even to the most loyal. All set, Charles. Then I will not see you again, Hans. Until? Until I arrive, eh? I will be attached to an army ordnance division in the city. You will receive additional information on the first day of each month. From you? Yes. There's a hotel not far from the factory. Here is the address. Fräulein Keller runs this hotel. Now... On the second floor in one corner sits a mahogany table. On it are a set of silver candlesticks. Four of them. 
beneath the candlestick nearest the right. You may find your information on the first day of each month. It will be written in code? Naturally. Be very careful when you pick it up. I see. And make no effort to contact me in any other way. And can I leave anything I might learn in the same place? Is it safe? Yes. Now, remember, sooner or later we are bound to be introduced, you and I. My duties with the Ordnance Division will, of course... near and yet so far kind of thing, eh? Yeah, very far. Once inside the city, I'm Oberleutnant Hans Neumann of Army Ordnance, understand? I am Herr Charles Umberstein, architect. Right. Well, time grows short. I must go. Everything checked. Your passport? Perfect. I even resemble the photograph of the Kanzler, you think so? Yes, not bad. <laughs> Very considerate of Umberstein to have looked this way. Tickets? Right here, through to Berlin. I report to Franz Miller in the munitions factory, produce my credentials. He's been expecting me. I haggle a little about the salary, then I accept. At first opportunity, become acquainted with MD plans. And I will see that you are highly recommended from a reliable source. Just as a matter of curiosity, Hans, who will recommend me? Oh, you needn't worry, Helmberstein. It'll be good, I assure you. Then goodbye, Hans. Oberleutnant Neumann, if you please. Oberleutnant Hans Neumann. Well, then, my Herr Charles Umberstein, auf Wiedersehen. Wiedersehen. <laughs> Heil Hitler. <laughs> Heil Hitler. Yes, everything Hans had said came about. I picked up my information each month at the little hotel. I left an occasional report for Hans. It was the only way we ever communicated. And then Oberleutnant Hans Neumann began to appear in Franz Müller's office. And eventually, Müller introduced us. In fact, Hans was with Müller quite frequently, and they dined together regularly. Hans played his part well. But one day, something was worrying him. I will wait here for you, Müller. I'll be with you in a moment. Ah, Herr Umberstein. It's good to see you again. The Leutnant Neumann. And Müller speaks very highly of your work here. Thank you. Be very careful of this Captain Van Hind. There's something wrong. I don't know what it is. He looks at me very strangely. And there is something I recognize about the man. The eyes oh, are... Yes, yes, yes. We were just chatting a moment. Uh... I've seen Van Hein somewhere before. Be very careful. And don't come with us in case they ask you. Well, well, well. You are ready? Why, yes, of course. Umberstein, uh, would you care to join us oh. at luncheon? No, no, thank you. I, I have some work to do. Uh, always working. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, then, let's go, Hans, yeah? Yeah, certainly. Oh, by the way, will Captain Van Hein be joining us today? Oh, Van Hein sends his regrets. Something is delayed. Oh, that's too bad. Van Hein, a remarkable man. No one like him in the service. No one like him. Goodbye, Leutnant. Van Hein. Such a brief warning. Curt and sinister. Hans was frightened. He would never have taken the chance to speak to me if he had not been frightened. Something that he recognized about von Hind. Saturday was the first of the month, and there was no information at the hotel. Hans didn't appear again to lunch with Herr Müller. Something was wrong. Something had happened to Hans. Today, I found out. Uh, we will enjoy ourselves today, eh, Umberstein? Yes. We should lunch together more often, you and I. I like good company when I eat. Good food, good company, good digestion, Herr <laughs> This is a wonderful restaurant that we are going to. You know, they serve Norwegian smoked salmon. That is exquisite. And, and, and cheap, too. 
Nothing like these new foods we are getting from Norway. <laughs> I've heard of Norwegian salmon. Uh, and this is the best. You and Oberleutnant Neumann dine here often, don't you? Hans Neumann. Uh, yeah, we came here often, yeah. Hans Neumann will not come here for a long, long time again, I'm afraid. I, I don't understand. Yeah, uh, you don't. You remember Captain von Hein? Oh, oh, yes, the Gestapo man who was inspecting our factory a few weeks ago. Yeah, 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 most efficient man. He has apparently been observing Hans Neumann for some time. Oh? Oberleutnant Neumann is being detained by Captain von Hein, no? Was he... He was a spy. A spy? How do you know? Von Hein arrests only spies. And von Heinz never makes a mistake. The man is incredible. Was there something suspicious about Hans? There's something suspicious about everyone to von Heinz. He himself asked me to cultivate Oberleutnant Neumann so that he could better observe his actions. Yes, I, I noticed that you two lunch together very often. Uh, we lunch together at this very same restaurant you and I are going to now. That made it easy for von Heinz. Easy? Well, to study the man in leisure. Von Hind always wants to be certain of his quarry. And uh, where is Hans now? Who knows? Who knows what happens when Captain von Hind takes a man? Don't you admire such efficiency, Umberstein? Well, of course. Yeah, well, the captain did indicate that there were others to be rounded up, too. Well, here we are. Oh, look, look, you see them in the window? Norwegian salmon. Oh, they are beautiful, so red, so delicious. Are you hungry, Umberstein? What? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, they, they do look delicious. Captain von Heint. I looked at him out of the window again. I could see his breath now. It was growing very cold. He was well-dressed in a neatly tailored overcoat and dark hat. It was too dark to tell the exact color. The only thing I was sure of were the hands and the gloves on the hands. Heavy, thick, powerfully mounted prongs encased in a gray, tightly fitting material. Style, lines running across the back. I noticed when he lifted them to light a cigarette. What beautiful weapons. His back was to me. I couldn't help but admire the fine breadth of his shoulders and the thick, closely barbered neck... He stood quietly by the lamppost, smoking, watching his breath and the smoke battle for existence in the icy air. Once when he turned to look up at my window, the single eyeglass he wore caught the reflection of the light. I wondered how much he weighed. Carefully, I retraced each step over again in my mind. I couldn't find the flaw that made me a marked man. The absurdly easy way I had gone through Mueller's office carrying an innocent-looking bundle of blueprints. Then to the vault, the, super, the superstition of copies. No one could suspect what I had done. No one had any reason to. Why? Why, then, was I trapped? Of course he was after me waiting down there. I wondered why he didn't come up and wait in my room. Surely he didn't know I was in the room. Perhaps he had searched my room one day while I was out. But what could he find? Nothing, absolutely nothing. A passport proving I was Charles Umberstein. A monogrammed suitcase bearing the initials CU. A few letters and old papers. Nothing, nothing at all. I had never talked. 
I had never known anyone else in service except Hans. Franz Müller was too stupid to suspect anything. Fräulein Keller, no. The passport, perfect. Only one other way. Only one other way could he possibly know. For an instant, the possible answer flashed through my brain. For a full five minutes, I watched him, watched him very discerningly. Could it be? Could it possibly be? The stillness of the street below was broken from time to time by the blare of an occasional horn and the rattle of armored cars carrying soldiers to different parts of the city. Turning from the window, I groped about in the darkness of my room, searching for the automatic I had concealed in the slit compartment of my traveling bag. When I found it, I tested the chamber. Yes, it was loaded. I jammed it in my coat pocket, and putting on my hat, I stood there by the window, watching him. He seemed very ominous, very assured, waiting for me. He must have been getting anxious with his long vigil. I watched him signal to an accomplice across the street. Walking back and forth under the streetlight, I noticed something familiar. Very familiar. A bolt from off the bed, tied to a piece of cord attached to the light switch. Ah, near the radiator pipe, room enough to pass it through, the weighted end dragging the string to the lobby below. I picked up my suitcase and stepped out of the door. The hall was dark and quiet. I walked down the stairs. The lobby was empty, deserted. At the bottom of the stairs, I placed the suitcase by the door, and I crossed to the desk. Hastily, I jammed a few bills in an envelope and addressed it to Fräulein Keller. Now, as I picked up my suitcase, I could see him very plainly on the corner. He was only a few feet from the entrance. The cord with its weighted end had fallen just short of the door. I stood there quietly. He looked up at my room. I pulled the cord. He was startled when the light went on upstairs, searching the window for a view of the occupant. I walked to the door. As I opened it, he looked at me, looked my way, gazed at me, point blank, seemed surprised. Then assuring himself, he took a step toward me. Herr Umberstein! Herr Umberstein! Oh, you are... You are Charles Umberstein? Why, yes, I... Charles Umberstein, who entered Germany in 1936 from Austria. Here's my passport. Your passport, yes. I have always wanted to meet you, Charles Umberstein. I have always wanted to meet you face to face. You know who I am? Why, yes, you are. <laughs> I wonder. You know the others I have had my men pick up, but you... I wanted to attend to personally. It's because you are Charles Umberstein. Now we will uh, just... I'm sorry, oh. my friend. <coughs> he sat down hard on the curb. looked up at me, mumbled strangely, then fell over with his head in the gutter. His hat fell off, and I saw that his hair was closely cropped. There were other people on the streets. I ran till I was out of breath. The 
The next day, I picked up a Berlin paper on the railroad station. On the second page, I read the headline, Gestapo official murdered. Saturday, January 25th, Captain Charles von Heimd, high-ranking official of the Gestapo intelligence service, was instantly killed last night by the bullets of an unknown assailant whom he was attempting to arrest on charges of espionage. Captain von Heind had been connected with the Gestapo since 1936. Prior to his affiliation with the Gestapo intelligence, he had been known by his real name, Charles Umberstein. His entry into such dangerous work made necessary a complete retirement from all public life. The Reich will long honor the memory of Charles Umberstein. I wired flowers from Geneva with a card marked Sympathy, signed C.U. And so closes the strange death of Charles Umberstein by E. Jack Newman, starring Vincent Price. Tonight's tale of Suspense. producer and director of Suspense is William Spear. Music was composed by Lucian Marowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1943 episode of Suspense entitled The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein. Now stay tuned for another Nazi bad guy radio drama. This one from 1945. An episode of Agatha Christie's Poirot, titled Death in the Golden Gate. Time and the little gray cells, they will always catch the criminal. Agatha Christie's Poirot. Packed pages of Agatha Christie's unforgettable stories of corpses, clues, and crime, complete with bowler hat and magnificent mustache, your favorite detective, Hercule Poirot, in Death in the Golden Gate. Tonight's story of detective fiction finds Hercule Poirot in San Francisco at the time of the United Nations Conference. Really, Mr. Poirot, you don't have to take me to dinner. All I asked for was an interview. No, 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 but I insist. I owe you one dinner, Miss Blaine, for the great compliment you have paid me. With San Francisco so full of international personalities, I did not think anyone would even notice the presence of an unimportant Belgian detective. Unimportant? Oh, come now, Mr. Poirot, you're too modest. Oh, but of course. Modesty is one of the many qualities for which I am justly famous. <laughs> ah, voici. Here is the very excellent little restaurant which I've discovered. Oh, one moment. We better let these three gentlemen out. They present an impassable barrier. That's the idea, pal. Impassable barrier. Three musketeers. Thanks for holding the door open, lady. I'll do the same for you sometime. Well... Kind of early in the day for drinking. If they are intoxicated, mademoiselle, it is from your San Francisco air. They have not been drinking, of that I'm quite sure. The uh, characteristic aroma is absent. Maybe, but they've got the characteristic stagger. Think they'll make that car all right? Yes, yes, I think so. Shall we go in? Hmm? Oh, yes, 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 of course. <laughs> 
Well, he was a table right by the window. Ah, oh, you see? They're having trouble starting the car. But why does the driver keep stamping on the brake instead of the starter? How do you know he... Oh, I see the stoplight in the rear. Flashing on... Ah, success, they're off. Yes. Now we can devote our entire attention to dinner. I'm as hungry as... What is it, Mr. Quarles? Hmm? Oh, that uh, gentleman at the corner table. The corner table? Oh, that foreign-looking chap with a peculiar expression on his face? Oh, yeah, that is the one. Rather distinguished looking. What about him? It is strange. The, the shape of the head, the hair, the general figure of the man is so familiar. And yet the face is that of a stranger. He's getting up now. He's getting ready to leave. Oh, such a blur. That is most disturbing. You know, I, I will not be able to rest until I have identified him. There's only one thing I do know. Seeing him has given me a very unpleasant feeling. Our past association was decidedly not friendly. He's probably a famous jewel thief. He looks it. He's passing this way. Uh, ah, uh, bonjour, monsieur. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Oh, monsieur, have I changed then so much you do not recognize me? My name is Poirot. <laughs> Hercule Poirot. I'm afraid there's a mistake. Oh, no, 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 my friend. Uh, where was it we met now? In Amsterdam, this part? I have never been in Amsterdam. Now, if you'll excuse me, sir. Goodbye. Bonjour, monsieur. Mm-hmm. That voice I have heard before. He certainly gave you the cold shoulder. It is obvious he does not relish my attention. I wonder... Ma foi! What is that? Why did I not realize it before? Mademoiselle, those men who just left the restaurant, I think they are connected with this gentleman. The three drunkards who got into the car? No, no, mademoiselle. They were not drunk. The two who wished to appear drunk, they were holding the third and abducting him. Abducting him? Oui, mademoiselle. Now I understand why he kept applying the brake so the red light would flash. Why? Because he was in trouble. He was seeking help, as one might uh, uh, flash an SOS. An SOS? Well, that sounds as though there might be a story here. Oui, mademoiselle. And perhaps an unpleasant one. But what can we do? They're gone now, all of them, including your mysterious friend. Uh, yes, but fortunately this flashing light business made me suspicious, so I wrote down the license number. Come, mademoiselle. We will find out who owns the car and uh, pay him a little visit. Inside, mister. You fellas are making a big mistake. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just a newspaper photographer. I make 40 bucks a week and I'm in hot now for my next two weeks' salary. You can't get any dough out of me. Watch him, Kirk. Don't worry, Frank. I've got him covered. Now sit down. All right, come on. Let's have it. What do you want? Nothing. We just like your company. Well, I don't like yours. How long do you think I'm going to stay here? Long enough. Says you. I got an important assignment at nine. We're well, not interested in your career. I sit still. Take it easy, will you, pal? You want that thing to go off? Guy can tie his shoelaces, can't he? All right, but don't... Look out, Curtis. Diving for your legs. No, you don't. You stay down. Frank, God, He's just reaching for it. Okay, Kurt, get up. He'll keep for a while. Yeah, I see. No, no, I just knocked him out. You come to in a little while. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. All right, come on. Help me get him on a couch. Right. He'll pay for this just as soon as... Hell, that, that must be Kramer. Now, I'll let him in. You keep an eye on this one. Yeah, who is that? This is Van Kramer. Open up. Oh. We expected you sooner, Baron. This is Simon Upkirk. The young man, you have him here? He's in the next room. Baron, there's something I must tell you. And his camera. 
You brought that along, too? Yes. Good. For a moment, when I saw that little Belgian in the restaurant, I was afraid. Uh, what Belgian? Never mind. Tonight at 9 o'clock, the delegates will gather in a room at the hotel embassy. They will pose for pictures. They will smile self-consciously. And then suddenly... Now I will have a talk with this photographer. And while I talk to him, attend to the camera. Yeah, I know what to do. Be careful, Kurt. It is a very small device, but it is very effective. One click of the shutter, the bomb will explode. Baron, there's, there's one thing I must tell you. Yes? There's been a slight difficulty. Difficulty? Yes, it, it was an accident. What happened? Quickly. Well, he attempted to escape. The gun went off. You stupid swine. Come. I told you to treat him well. Well, he... He'll be coming, too, in a minute. Are you sure this is the man we want? Yeah, he's Larry Doyle, all right. But there's... He has a very stupid face. Typically American. Kurt, cold water, towels. Yes, Baron, right away. Baron, huh? I thought your name was Kramer. I thought this was a simple snatch so you could get the guy's press card. I don't want any part of this bomb business I just heard you talking about to Kurt. And now that you know, what do you suggest? I think you ought to call the whole thing off. If you were in your right mind, you'd never even dream of pulling anything like it. Proceed. That's all. I think you're off balance, Baron. You're going berserk because Germany just lost the war and you want revenge. Just lost the war. Don't be a fool, Frank. We lost the war two years ago. It is not this war we've been thinking about. It is the next one. The next? Baron, don't you know what's happening? Your leaders are dead. Germany's ruined. No, Frank. Germany is not ruined. It's only the factories and they can be rebuilt. But the people, the German people are not ruined as the others. They are well-fed, well-dressed. Germany will yet rule the world. We have only to divide our enemies. We have only to prevent the unity they hope to build here in San Francisco. But knocking off a couple of delegates won't help. They'll dig up others. Yes, but it will give us time. Time for propaganda. Time to spread distrust. Look, you crackpot, you can't get away with anything like that. They'll catch you and me, too, if I stick with you. I'm pulling out. That is impossible. You already know too much. What do you mean? I mean, you stupid American swine, that you will not be permitted to warn the authorities. Oh, I just I can want see to... it in your eyes. You will become a hero. You will save the country. I won't save the you country. You won't even save yourself. <laughs> what happened? Our friend here wanted to resign from our little mission. Of course, I could permit that. But why did you... Stop wasting time. Give me that towel in the water. Get him into the back room. This other one's beginning to stir already. Yes, Ben. And remember, follow the instructions. When you finish with the camera, leave it on the table in the hall. Then disappear. I will, Baron. Here. Here, young man, drink this. Can you hear me? You're all right. Oh, my head. Nothing. You were stunned. You're all right now. Everything's wobbly. Take that thing away. Only a towel. What is your name, young man? Let me go. Here, sit up. So, you're better. Yes? Who are you? What do you want? Only to extend my apologies. My friends have been guilty of a great mistake. For days now, I've been followed by a suspicious-looking man. They mistook you for him. Oh, they did. Well, I had to tell that to the police. There's a law against kidnapping. Kidnapping? <laughs> no, 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 my friend. I am well known to the police. I am under their protection. And now you had better go. Why are you so anxious to get rid of me all of a sudden? Well, my friend, as you came out of your unconsciousness, you kept muttering, I've got to get there at nine o'clock. I would not want you to miss an important engagement. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, hello. Hey, Mr. Doyle. Yeah? Do not forget your camera. <laughs> 
nobody home. You sure this is the right place? Oh, there is the name over the bell, Lawrence Doyle. This is the address the police gave to me. Uh, perhaps the door hey, is... Hey, hey there, just a minute. Where do you think you're going? Oh, uh, monsieur, uh, are you uh, Lawrence Doyle? Well, what if I am? Monsieur Doyle. Is it not true you were abducted in your automobile earlier today by two other gentlemen? You seem to know a lot about my affairs. How come you're so nosy? It is my business to be nosy, monsieur. Sometimes a stitch in time saves the whole garment, n'est-ce pas? <laughs> Permit me to present myself. I am Hercule Poirot, and <coughs> this is Miss Blaine of the Time Star. Oh, how are you, Blaine? Hi. I'm a... Hey, hey, are you that famous detective? Well, I am a detective, monsieur, and I am not entirely unknown. I was supposed to take pictures of you tomorrow. Come on in a minute, will you? I think you're just the guy I'm looking for. And that's the whole story, Mr. Poirot. What do you make of it? This is very strange, Monsieur Doyle, very strange. You are positive they, they took nothing from you, no money, no paper? No, I'm positive, not a thing. And another thing, I didn't mention to that last guy that there was a blood stain on the carpet that wasn't there before I was knocked out. I thought I heard a shot just before I really became conscious. I do not understand this, monsieur. As soon as they released you, why did you not inform the police? Well, I'll tell you why, because I didn't want to get tied up with identifications and making complaints and whatnot. Nine o'clock tonight, i got to be at the hotel embassy to take a picture. The heads of the delegations are getting together. I see, I see. Tell me, monsieur, this uh, third gentleman, the foreign-looking one who was so kind to you, do you know his name? Uh, no. No, I, uh, I don't think it was mentioned. From your description, I think he's the one we saw in the restaurant. If I could only see him again and perhaps identify him. Well, I'll take you there. Oh, but your assignment to take the picture. Oh, I can make that. It's only 7.30 now. Bon, bon, let us march. Uh, Miss Blaine, you will forgive me for rushing up this way, but this may be dangerous. Oh, sure. After all, if I went along, I might get a hot story. Hey, Doyle. What? You forgot your camera. What do you want to do, lose your job? You are sure this is the street, monsieur? This is it, all right. Let me see. It was the third house in the corner. Third so, Oh, that would be the house in front of which that truck is standing. Yeah. Hey. Hey, look, they're carrying a crate out of the house. Oh, wait. I would like very much to inspect that crate. Perhaps if I... No, I've already loaded it onto the truck. Yeah, that is a pity. Hey. I know that fellow who just jumped in. I think I recognize him. What? Hey, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Could have sworn he was one of the guys who slugged me. Eh bien, perhaps we will meet him again sometime. This is the house, Nispa? Yeah. Good. We will just step in and see what we can discover for ourselves. Suppose uh, they find us. Oh, you need not be afraid, monsieur. I suspect the birds have already flown the coops. Oh, yeah. Here's the room they took me in. Good. Uh, you see? They are gone. There are the signs of a rather hasty departure. There's the broken window I told you about. Well, and here is a loud blood stain on the carpet. Your account of what happened here is no doubt accurate. Yeah, a lot of good that does us. They haven't left a single trace. I would not say that, monsieur. They have left at least one vital piece of information. What's that? 
I can now give you the name of the third man, the one who revived you with the towers. Yeah? His name is Baron von Kramer. Von Kramer? I never heard of him. Should I have? This von Kramer was a German saboteur in Belgium in 1914. A, a cool, ruthless man. I had the misfortune to meet him several times. I don't get it, Poirot. How do you know he's a man? Well, this uh, Baron has one careless habit. Whenever he sits at a table with a pencil in his hand, he scribbles furiously. Oh, lots of people do that. We call it doodling. Doodle? Uh, wait, wait. But this Baron von Kramer, he is an egotist. He doodles for himself decorations of honor. I have observed him doing it many times. On tablecloths, on menus, always he draws for himself the Iron Cross. Iron crosses such as you see here on this crumpled piece of paper. How is it you didn't recognize him in the restaurant? Well, the Baron has disguised himself very effectively. Plastic surgery. You know, the Germans are so clever at such things. Unfortunately for him, he has a cute poirot to deal with. Therefore, monsieur, you will accompany me to my hotel where you can make yourself presentable for your important assignment. And you? And I. I, too, have an important assignment. Yes? Hello, Baron. This is Kurt. Did everything go well? I'm not sure. Just as we were leaving in the truck, that reporter came back with another man. A little guy with a derby and a big mustache. Barrow. Who? Uh, the detective I told you about before. Well, how did he get mixed up in this? I don't know, but we must act quickly. He's a sly one, that Belgian, I know. Well, what do we do? We must separate them. Every minute they are together, there is danger. Danger that Barrow will discover what we have done. We must lay a trap for him... But it must be subtle. Yes, very subtle. Well, Mr. Poirot, thanks for your hospitality. I... <laughs> I used up all your towels, but I feel a lot cleaner. <laughs> you weren't bored. No, no, buddy, you. I occupied myself with a few little tasks. Hello. Now that you are once again presentable, you can proceed to take your pictures. What about those guys? Oh, do not derange yourself, monsieur. I will pursue this. Entre. Uh, Mr. Poirot? Oui? And uh, my name is Smith. Oh, come in, Monsieur Smith. Uh, yes? I'd uh, like to discuss something with you. As something uh, confidential. You may speak freely, monsieur. This young man, he is most discreet. Good. Uh, Mr. Poirot, I represent certain uh, people. Uh, they feel you've worked very hard all your life and that the time has come for you to uh, uh, retire. Oh, no, that is very considerate, monsieur. But, you know, in order to retire, one must have funds. Uh, what would you say to $10,000? dollars Monsieur, I find you most amusing. <laughs> the $10,000 are in cash in this wallet, Mr. Poirot. Here, uh, take a look. Merci, monsieur. Mm -hmm. The money appears to be genuine. Uh, tell me, monsieur, what are the terms of this uh, generous offer? Very simple, Mr. Poirot. You are to pack your bags immediately and return at once by plane to New York. I myself will escort you and provide you with a ticket. Monsieur Smith... Your proposition does not interest me. If that is all, monsieur. You will please go. All right. But I have to warn you. My people don't take no for an answer. 
You're inviting trouble. Oh, tough, huh? I've had about enough of you in your outfit. Poirot, do you mind if I take this guy apart? I wouldn't try anything if I were you. I'm leaving. Goodbye. No, you don't. Good day. <laughs> Bien, Monsieur Dort. This is not one of you lucky days. <laughs> oh. What happened? Well, a little Japanese trick, I fancy. He was... What is it, Poirot? Well, this is a stroke of fortune. The wallet, Mr. Doyle. He dropped the wallet in the short scuffle with you. The wallet and the money? Yes, yes, it is here, all of it. But I'm not interested in that. I'm looking for other things. Papers, perhaps, some identification. Any luck? No, 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 no. Oh, nothing but this little slip of white paper. You make anything of it? Well, well it's blank on both sides. Yes, it is blank, but perhaps... Yeah, it is worth the time. What on earth are you doing with that electric iron, Poirot? Oh, Monsieur Doyle, I am by nature a very tidy man. Entree. Well, well, Mademoiselle Blaine. Well, for heaven's sake, Mr. Poirot, you're ironing. Well, that's no job for a great detective. Here, let me at it. Oh, no, 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 Mademoiselle. I am most proficient at this domestic work. But you're pressing a blank sheet of paper. Mr. Poirot. There's writing coming up. Exactly. You see, Monsieur Doyle, the paper is no longer blank. The heat of the iron has brought out a message. The modern printing press. 8.30 tonight. Heavens, invisible ink. Modern printing press. Aha, now it all becomes clear. Monsieur Doyle, that truck in the front of the house, you recall? There was on it the same name. There was a murder committed there, and that crate we saw contained the body. Well. Well, Mr. Poirot, what now? It's almost 8.30. Now, right? now, Monsieur Doyle, you go to the embassy hotel to take your pictures. And I go to the secret rendezvous at this uh, modern printing press. I'm going with you, Mr. Powell, please. Oh, there may be danger, mademoiselle. True, but there may also be a story. Eh bien, as you wish. If you will ring for the elevator, I will join you in three waves of a lamb's tail. <laughs> I do not like this. I do not like this at all. You, you should not have come with me. I know, Mr. Poirot. I'm so impetuous. Uh, well, that is a very dangerous quality, mademoiselle, for one so charming. Why, Mr. Poirot, you'll turn my pretty head. Mm. <laughs> well, this is the place, modern printing press. Doesn't look to me as if there's any secret meeting going on in here. Uh, mademoiselle, that is the purpose of secret meetings, you know? <laughs> Quiet, please, now. Mm-hmm. Open. Come in, Mademoiselle. I'm right with you. Can't see a thing. There is a little light coming in from the lamp in the street. Your eyes are not accustomed to the dark. I think we can remedy that. Wait, it's the man in the restaurant. Oui, otherwise known, Mademoiselle, as Baron von Kramer. So, Poirot, you did see through my disguise. I was afraid you might. That is why I made such elaborate preparations to receive you. Sit down. Merci, Monsieur Le Baron. Well, well, well. I did not expect to find such uh, sumptuous quarters back here. <laughs> the printing shop uh, does The printing not... shop. That, too, is a cover. I see. Oh, pardon. I have not presented my companion. This is Mademoiselle Blaine, a reporter. I am so sorry, Miss Blaine, that you have stumbled into this situation. It is most unfortunate. You see, Mademoiselle Blaine, the Baron, like all of his people, is exceedingly chivalrous. 
I remember how remorseful he was on one occasion when he had to let his lady accomplice die so he could escape. You are clever, Poirot, but not quite clever enough. You fell into my trap. Uh, trap? You do not even yet realize what has happened. That piece of paper, Poirot, which Mr. Smith accidentally dropped in your room. Oh, oh very clever, Baron. Ah, well, I know you, Poirot. The trap, to trap anyone else, the writing would have to be so plain, so explicit. But for Poirot... Only invisible ink will do. You knew I would discover it, eh? Mm. Eh bien, I must compliment you, monsieur. You are still resourceful. I've had to be. To put you at my mercy. So this is the end, Poirot. The end of our long association. Only one of us will leave here alive. Yes. Excuse me. Uh, do not move either of you. I will not hesitate to shoot. Yes? Oh, yes. Mr. Poirot. Isn't there anything we can do? Yes. Must we stay here? Well, it does not look good for us, mademoiselle. Well, I won't stay here. No, 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 Miss Blaine, do not move. But... I am not quite as stupid as he believes. I did not fall into his trap. I have only pretended to. You mean... I know Monsieur Smith was not sent in a serious hope of bribing me. Von Kramer knows me too well for that. Then why was he sent? Obviously to lure me into a trap. Then why did you come down here? Have no fear, mademoiselle. I called the police from my hotel room. They will be here presently. Yes, and... Oh, shh, shh, quiet. Very interesting. Good work, Otto. But I owe you an apology. Again, I have underestimated you. Indeed? You knew it was a trap all the time. Yes, pal. You see, I did not underestimate you. I knew you would not try to bribe me. Mm, very good. But tell me, how did you discover that I had not fallen into your trap? Oh, yes. I forgot to mention it. I have just heard from a friend of mine. By a strange coincidence... He operates the switchboard at your hotel. Good Lord. When you called from your hotel room and asked to be connected with the police, he connected you instead with another room in the hotel. You spoke to my men. Then the police... Oh, we'll not be here, mademoiselle. Hmm? Say, sir. I'm afraid we have reached the end of the play. Yes, Poirot. It is all over. Uh, that is to say it will be all over in exactly three minutes. Uh, uh, three minutes? In three minutes, Poirot. At precisely nine o'clock. Young Mr. Doyle will walk into a room at the hotel embassy to take a picture. When he clicks the shutter, he will set off a powerful charge, a bomb that will wreck the building. A bomb? Oh, a masterpiece of sabotage, Baron. Hmm. You have gone far since the old days. Yes, and I will go further. In a week or two, I will join my superiors in South America. And as for you, perhaps you have some last requests. Monsieur le Baron, I have lived according to certain rules and ideals, you know. I should very much like to perhaps uh, drink a toast to those ideals. That is good. And I will drink to mine. A glass for each of us. And for the lady. Nothing. A fine bottle of Napoleon. One moment. I will just turn on this radio. I am expecting a news flash shortly. Uh, you know, I am uh, most curious to hear your toast, Baron. It would seem Poirot, to be... I am disappointed in you. Eh? As I turned on the radio, I watched you in the mirror. It seemed to me you passed your hand over my glass. You think I put something in it? Oh, Monsieur Le Baron, that is fantastic. It, it sounds like a mystery novel. Mm, <laughs> in that case, Poirot, I am sure you will not object to our changing glasses. Oh, but uh, so, you... I have yours, and you have mine. Are you ready? Yes. Yes, I am ready. I drink to the destruction of tyranny, now and forever. Excellent, Dominalis. It is now 9 o'clock Pacific War Time. Listen, Poirot. We have just received the following bulletin. 
At the United Nations Security Conference, the heads of the delegations have just posed for photographs and have now closed the doors on what is expected to be the most fruitful session of... But it is impossible. It... it... What is it, Monsieur Le Baron? You look faint. Mr. Parrell. He... He's dead. No, no, Miss Plain. Not dead. Only unconscious. You see, I knew he would be suspicious of me, so I put something in my glass before I pretended to put something in his. What did you put in? Uh, some of these. I, I always carry them with me. They are knockabout drops. Very interesting. Uh, what you call in America the uh, uh, Michael Finn. Um, now, if you will take his gun, I will use the telephone. Uh, the camera? Why didn't it explode at the hotel? Oh, very simple, mademoiselle. I removed the bomb while Monsieur Doyle was washing up at my hotel. He never knew about it. Well, I don't see how you knew about it. Well, I just employed the little gray cells, mademoiselle. And they told me that these people kidnapped a photographer and then let him go. Well, obviously, they did not want him. They took nothing from him. Then what did they want? It could be only one thing. The camera. Precisely. Then when I finally recognized this von Kramer, an expert saboteur, and learned that uh, Monsieur Doyle was going to the conference, it all became very clear. So I deftly removed the bomb. Uh, hello, hello. Police headquarters. Ah, uh, this is Hercule Poirot. Wait. Uh, if you will come to the modern printing press, I will deliver into your hands one Baron von Kramer. And also, I think you will find a body. <clears throat> of course, a dead one. Remain. I will wait, monsieur. And now, Miss Plain, let us continue with our interview, eh? After all, I would not want to send you away uh, without a story. adventure of Agatha Christie's great detective, Hercule Poirot. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. That was a 1945 episode of Agatha Christie's Poirot, entitled Death in the Golden Gate. Ich bin ganz allein, allein. Ich bin ganz allein. Ich bin ganz allein. 
harmonist with One Dicht from 1933. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. This is Joe Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady. Join me for Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. From divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHD LP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means.
Mad Pad. Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, dig this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. <laughs> 